You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, um, a couple of Sundays ago, I, um, I preached this sermon about discipleship. And you might remember it was from Luke 14, and there were really strong words in the passage that I read you from. And we talked a lot about them, where Jesus says, If you want to follow me and you do not give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. I'm still buzzing up here, Sean. You remember that? (laughs) Or he said, if you do not take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And I quoted you words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this, when Christ calls a man... He bids him come and die. And I confess to you that morning that I feel like we've kind of watered down discipleship. And we've reduced the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into a poor little Savior who is begging us to accept Him into our lives. When in reality, Jesus is the one with the cross on His back. And He looks at us and He says, If you want to be my disciple then you have to take up a cross and follow me. And so I I left that day feeling like God had spoken to us. I felt like God was calling us. Probably the only negative feeling I left with that day was that I felt like we needed to talk about it more. And I wondered if people were leaving the church that morning saying, so what does that look like in my life? So what does Jesus really mean when he says, give up everything and follow me? Or what does it look like in my life today in 2014 to take up a cross and follow Jesus? And so I found this example in Scripture where Jesus speaks specifically to one individual and he says, this is what it means for you. And I begin to wonder if we looked at that together, would it help us understand than what that looks like in my life. And so let me take you to the Gospel of Luke, okay? Chapter, 20, chapter 18, rather, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. Luke chapter 18, <laughs> beginning with verse 18. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that I'm, uh, I'm kind of just yelling. So I'm going to stop and just look at you in the eye for a minute, okay? Um, what he really says to this guy is this. You have to surrender what you love most so that you're always sure. There is no question that I have first place in your heart. And so what do you love most? And I'm not really asking what you should love most because we all know what that list looks like. Well, I should love God most and then family next and then friends and others next and then all the other stuff falls under that. And for some of you, that's really what your list looks like. And others of you would say, no, that's not what my list looks like. I love some other stuff more than I love those things. And Jesus says you've got to surrender what you love most. To make sure that I'm first place in your life. So let me, let me take you to Luke 18, okay? Here we go. So a certain ruler, now we don't know a lot about this guy. We do know that he was rich because Matthew tells us that he was and that he was young. 
And Luke tells us that he was a ruler and that he was very wealthy. Okay? So a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't have it. I want it. And so what do I have to do to get it? That's what he's asking Jesus. I don't have it. I want it. And I want you to tell me what do I have to do to get it? What must I have to do or do rather to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And so all of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And so when Jesus heard this, he said to him, Well, you, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, everything you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. And so when he heard this, he became very sad. So why did he become very sad? Because he was very wealthy. So Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is possible with what is rather impossible with man is possible with God. And so Peter said to him, Well, we, we've left all we had to follow you. And truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come the one thing the man was after, eternal life. So I ask for God's blessings on His Word for us today. Amen? I read a story years ago, and I don't think I've ever quite shaken the story, probably because I think in many ways it's, it's my story. And so I'm probably breaking like rules of public speaking by doing this, but I'm going to read the story to you, okay? So maybe you'll find yourself in the story. John Blanchard stood from the bench, straightened his army uniform, studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he had never seen. The girl with the rose. His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued, not with the words in the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and an insightful mind. And in front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Hollis Maynell. So with time and effort, he located her. She now lived in New York City. And so he wrote her a letter, inviting her to correspond. But the next day, he was shipped overseas for service because he was fighting in World War II. 
So during the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mill. Each letter was a seed falling on fertile hearts. It seemed there might be a romance budding. So Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it would not matter what she looked like. So when the day finally came for him to return to Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, or rather from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 p.m., Grand Central Station, New York City. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. And so at 7 o'clock he was in the station looking for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he had never seen. A young woman was coming toward him as he tells the story. Her figure was long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers, it seemed to him. Her lips and chin had this gentle firmness. And in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. And as I moved toward her, a small provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. And almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her, and then I saw Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl. She had gray and hair tucked under a worn hat. She was a lot more than plump. Her thick ankled feet were thrust into her low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit, however, was walking quickly away. I felt as though I was split in two, so taken my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned me and upheld my own. And there she stood, her pale, plump face with gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle, and so I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn book copy rather the book that I was holding to identify me to her this would not be love probably it would be something precious something perhaps even better than love a friendship for which I had been and would forever be grateful and so I squared my shoulders and I saluted and held out the book to the woman even though while I spoke I felt choked by the bitterness of disappointment I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard and you must be Miss Maynell I'm so glad to meet you May I please take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened with a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, she answered. But the young lady in the green suit, who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said if you were to ask me out to dinner, that I should tell you she'd be waiting for you in the restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of a test. (laughs) I like the story. I think it's my story. He didn't know it was a test. He he didn't realize that his reaction and his response to that situation was probably going to determine the rest of his life. And I think about my own life and how many times have I found myself in a situation not realizing that maybe my response in that situation would determine my future. And many of those times 
I was standing before Jesus himself. And he was waiting for a response from me. I wonder if the rich young guy, I wonder if he had any idea that morning when he woke up that he was going to have to respond to Jesus. And his response was going to determine the direction that his life would take from that day forward. We live in this society that's kind of interesting to me because we, we idolize celebrities. Um, we're really into famous people. We have television shows that are just about famous people. That's it. We have magazines that are just about famous people. You can go to the grocery store and you can buy a magazine off the rack. And all it's about is just famous people. Some of the people who are famous are only famous for being famous. They don't sing. They don't dance. They don't participate in the sport. They're not musical. They're just famous. And somehow they become really wealthy being famous. And so we kind of idolize them. They're rich. We wonder what it would be like to be that rich. We wonder what it would be like for everybody to think about us like they think about them. Unfortunately, most of them don't handle money and fame very well. Many times their lives kind of spiral out of control. And morals get tossed out the window. And life kind of comes apart. I I, I think that the guy in the story is maybe like one of those people that we tend to idolize in our society. So Matthew tells us that he has great possessions. Luke says he was wealthy. How wealthy was he, Luke? Luke says he was very wealthy. So I don't know if he like inherited his money or if he like made his money, but somehow the guy ends up with a lot of money. Not only is he wealthy, but he is a leader among his people. Luke says he is a ruler. So he's young, probably maybe not even out of his 20s. He's very wealthy. He has great possessions. And he is recognized as a leader among his peers. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to know what I would have to do to get eternal life. So I think we've got to talk about eternal life for a few minutes, okay? Let's do that. Uh, When I think about the word eternal, I tend to think in that direction. In other words, I tend to think about something that will never end. It just keeps going and going and going and going, and it has no ending. It will always be there forever and ever and ever. Eternal means it will never end, okay? Do you think that way when you think about something that is eternal? Here's the thing about it. Not only does something that is eternal have no ending, it also has no beginning. So as far as it goes in that direction, it goes the same distance in that direction. It always was. Well, how long ago was it? It always was. It always was and it always will be. It is eternal. And so when I try to comprehend something that is eternal, the only thing, the only entity that I can comprehend is God. Well, what about the world? Oh, no, it had a beginning. Remember, it was created. But God, He has always been. And He will always be. So what is eternal life? Except to share in the very life of God. You want to know how I know that? Jesus told me. He told me in His Word. One day He says, Do you want me to define eternal life for you? I will define eternal life for you. Do you want to know what it means? I will tell you what it means. And in John 17, Jesus says... This is eternal life. You ready? 
To know the one and only true God. That is eternal life. To know God. And so you got a young man who is really wealthy. And he's a leader among his peers. And he comes to Jesus and he says, There's something that I don't have that I want. So what's it going to cost me to get it? I'm talking about eternal life. And so Jesus says, You know the commandments. And he starts listing them. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your mother and your father. What's interesting is that he starts at the last six commandments. He does not finish by saying, Thou shalt not covet. But he lists all the other five. Those six commandments deal with our relationships with one another, right? Okay, don't commit adultery. That's about us. Don't kill. That's about us. That's our relationships. Don't lie to each other. Don't, don't steal from each other. Honor your mother and father. Those are more horizontal commandments, right? It's about our relationships with one another. But he bypasses the first four. What are they about? They're vertical. They're about my relationship with God. Have no other gods before me. Don't worship any graven image. Don't misuse my name and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those commandments are about our relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying to the young man is that you're living your life in violation of one of the commandments. The first one. Because wealth has become your God. Wealth has become what you love most. Wealth means more to you than anything else in the world. And so if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple... Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. The way that God deals with man from the very beginning all the way through is that he gives us commands and he gives us promises. It's covenant kind of language. A covenant always involved a promise and a command. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now think with me a minute, okay? Are you interested in treasure in heaven? Or are you interested in treasure right here on earth? Huh? I mean, what appeals to you more? Treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? Because all of his life, all he had focused on was treasures on earth. (laughs) I'm about great possessions. I'm about being very wealthy. I'm not thinking about treasures in heaven. My focus is treasures on earth. And Jesus introduces a new concept to him. And the concept is the kingdom of God. Let me talk to you about another kind of kingdom. Because the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God is very different from one another. The kingdoms of this world really focuses on treasures here on earth. But the kingdom of God focuses on treasures in heaven. So the kingdoms of this world says, get all you can for yourself and acquire all you can and build up all you can. But the kingdom of God says, no, no, no. It's about how you relate to God. And it's about how you care for one another. It's about loving God and loving people. And I'm wanting to talk to you about being the citizen of another kind of kingdom. Sometimes I wonder what this would all be like if what the guy loved most was not money. You with me? What, what, what if Jesus said to the guy, one thing you still lack, 
Surrender your misuse of sex. And then come and follow me. And then the title in the NIV version of the Bible would not be the rich in the kingdom of God. It would be the sexually immoral in the kingdom of God. What if what the guy loved most was not money? What if Jesus says to the guy, one thing you still lack. If you want to be my disciple, give me your calendar. So what if money was not what the guy loved most? What if Jesus said, one thing you lack, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to surrender your misconstrued value or your misconstrued understanding of achievement and success because right now it's all messed up. And so, I don't know about you, but I open the Bible and these are really hard words. If you don't give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. And I say, Jesus... How do I even relate that to my life? What does that mean? And then I, then I see this story. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what it meant to this guy. And so I think the question you and I have to ask this morning, what are the things that I love most? Are they surrendered to Jesus? So that there is no question about where he stands in my life. You are still number one with me. The Bible says that he was very sad. How how did they know he was sad? Did, Did he like have a frown on his face? Did he like drop his head? Did he like... Starts shaking his head. Did Jesus reach up and raise his chin up and say, look at me. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The reason it's hard is because we get attached to money. Possessions begin to find a place in our hearts. And then Jesus uses a hyperbole. You know what a hyperbole is? An exaggeration, figure of speech. So it would be like this. If somebody said, hey, Rick, would you move this monitor over there? I would say, sure, and I would start to pick it up, and it's, well, it is heavy. But I would say, man, this thing, this thing weighs a ton. And I don't think anybody would be offended or turn to somebody sitting beside you and said, why did Rick say it weighs a ton? It only weighs 50 pounds. It's 1,950 pounds less than a ton. No, you would say it's a figure of speech. It's a hyperbole. We do it all the time in our language. Like, like if I said I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Truth is, I've never tasted horse. And I think it's not about what kind of meat you're eating. I think it's more about how much. Like I could eat a lot of meat. But the truth is, if I ate a 12-ounce steak, I would probably be stuffed. Or if I said, man, I've got it. And I say this to Annette sometimes. I'll say, baby, I feel like I've got, like got a million things on my mind today. And the truth is, I probably have about six. <laughs> but nobody says, why does he talk like that? It's, it's a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. We do it all the time to make a point. And so Jesus says, hyperbole. 
It is easier for a camel, a walking camel with a long neck drinking lots of stuff, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How does that make you feel? Because you're rich. We all know you're rich. If you slept on a mattress last night and you're in the top 25% of the world's population when it comes to wealth, only 25% of the population will sleep on a mattress. You took a warm shower, you're rich. How does it make you feel when Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Some people have tried to say, well, really the word that we translate from Greek uh, to the, the word is very much like camel. It also means like a large rope. So it's like you can't get a large rope through the avenue needle. Others say, no, no, that's not true. It's really a camel, but it's, it's, this, it's this door by this gate in Jerusalem, the main gate of Jerusalem. And it's a smaller door just for people to go through like a camel couldn't go through there. And other commentators say, no, it was a camel in the avenue needle. He is trying to say, it seems impossible. Well, then who can get saved? People ask Jesus. Then what about people like us who are rich? Who eat three meals every day. And we focus more on not eating because we're gaining weight than eating. Because there's so much food around us. What about people like us? What's the hope for us? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You know what he's saying? I can change your heart. And I can make you citizens of another kingdom. And you'll begin to do things that the world would say, you're nuts. Like giving lots of money to mission stuff. And every time you get paid, giving money to help fix a building over here for an after-school program for kids in the community? And seeing somebody in need and taking them a bag of groceries? Or saying, bring me your electric bill, I'll just pay it this month for you? And God has changed so many of you, and now you think very differently about money. And you realize that all the money that God gave me was not just to get richer, but maybe God gave me money to share with some other people. And to do something significant within life. Because God changes our hearts. So Simon Peter scratches his head and says, Whoa, wait, wait. We left all we had to follow you. And Jesus says, And Simon Peter, you will have full life in God. You will have eternal life. I think it's interesting that sometimes we think, if I can get this stuff, then I can find happiness, right? I mean, I can be more complete. I can feel better about myself. My life will be better. I will have better life if I can just get my hands on some more of this stuff. And come to find out it's when we let it all go that we find life. Isn't that weird? (laughs) 
The stuff that I thought was going to make me happy, it's when I turned loose of it that I became joyful. The stuff that I thought was going to bring me life, when I let it go, I found life. It's not a poor little Savior saying, please, please, please let me in your life. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to be honest with you from day one. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you want to be my disciple, you have to take up a cross. If you want to be my disciple, you have to give up everything you have. You have to get rid of what you love most. (coughs) Not get rid. I'm sorry, that was bad language. Surrender what you love most. So that there's no question that I'm number one in your life. How do, you, how do you get there? How do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you get there? I ask myself all the time. I'm always thinking about my view of money. I'm always thinking about the way I use time. I'm always thinking about my life. How do I get to that place? How do I become a better disciple of Jesus? How do I say, it's all yours? And, and it's right in front of me. It's right here. It's grace. I think I'm a good Wesleyan. I think I understand when we experience the sacrament together that Jesus works powerfully in our lives. It is a means of grace. And so when I take this bread and when I drink this juice, in that moment I'm saying, Jesus, I'm accepting your help and your grace. Even in this moment. I believe something powerful happens when I receive these elements. I believe God is involved in my heart when I receive these elements. And the grace of God reaches me in this moment. And so would you stand with me? And would those of you who are going to serve us come? In a moment, the trays will be passed by you. And in our church, we practice communion in this way. You don't have to be a member of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene to receive the elements with us. I do think it's really, really, really important that you're sincere when you do this. And if you say, Rick, today, honestly, I'm just not, it's not where I'm at in my life, then I would just let them pass me by. I I wouldn't feel any pressure to receive those. And I don't think anybody should ask you after it's over why you didn't take them. But if you're truly seeking the grace of Jesus today, I think you should take them. And believe that in this moment that Jesus is going to reach me where I am. And I'm going to experience his mercy in this moment. So, Father, (laughs) Lord, you know we have sound system problems going on this morning. Help us, I pray. Reach us with your grace. Amen. Serve our people, will you? And we'll sing together. Thank you.
find yourself in need of grace today uh, grace is available to you so when Jesus was with his disciples he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body that is broken for you take it and eat it and he took the wine and he said this is my blood that is shed for you my blood of the new covenant drink it all of you and be thankful We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for being a big brother to us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the grace that you give us to live this life that you call us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.